ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. We spend a lot of time on podcasts like this predicting the future in various ways. But as we do that, we know life is really unpredictable. And as the scripture says, we do not, uh, we do not know uh, the number of our days. And that's why it's a really important thing to have a will uh, to protect yourself and your family. Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to walk you through the entire process of creating a will in as little as 10 minutes. You don't have to have a law degree uh, to be able to walk through this, and that's why it's really helpful. So visit morect.com, that's M-O-R-C-T.com, will, that's morect.com slash will to get started today. to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week, we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we have a conversation to seek to do just that. I'm really excited to be joined today by my friend of, wow, a long time, uh, David Platt. I'm trying to even think of how many uh, years uh, from back in the day when he was uh, dean of the chapel at our alma mater, New Orleans Seminary, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> on to the church at Brook Hills, to the fateful moment when I was trying to talk him into serving as president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, by saying, you know, the Southern Baptist politics really aren't that bad anymore, which he reminds me of uh, all the time. But then we served together as entity heads, and now he is pastor of McLean Bible Church in the Washington, D.C. area, the author of the book uh, Radical that many of you have read, and a new book uh, that's just come out called Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully. David Platt, thanks for being with me today. It is really good to be with you, Russell. And like just just that quick summary, I've got all kinds of pictures and conversations come to my mind <laughs> over the years. Brother, for the encouragement you have been to me over 
all those years. That is really the first picture that comes to my mind as I think about all that ever since like when we were in an adoption process, uh, multiple adoption processes and just being encouraged by you, Heather and me being encouraged by Maria and you uh, at different points, man, I'm just so thankful for the way you've spurred me on toward Christ over the years. So thank you, brother. Well, likewise. And I'll tell you one little thing that I don't even know if I've ever even mentioned to you. It was with you that I uh, decided that Twitter had become something different than what it had been before. Really? Yeah, because there was this moment. I used to love Twitter because uh, at the those beginning days, you really were able to talk to people who... You know, even if you didn't know each other, you kind of knew similar uh, worlds. And it really wasn't the way that it is now. And so I would joke all the time, things like that. You and I were one time riding around somewhere, I think in Louisville. And I very jokingly said, here with Platt riding in his brand new Bentley. Uh, which of course was not true, but it was right after right after Radical uh, had come out, and so immediately you start get. I'm expecting everybody to get the joke, and immediately I start getting that is so hypocritical that he would write a book on uh, avoiding the American dream and buy a Bentley. That is terrible. I was like, come on, people, you really don't get the joke. And I think from that point on, I realized. Oh, wait, there are a lot of really humorless people on Twitter. Maybe this thing is changing. Mm. And it did. We had no idea at that moment uh, (laughs) how true that was. That's exactly right. And you still don't have a Bentley. So that's true. You know, when when you think about this new book, uh, Don't Hold Back, and then you think about Radical from what year was Radical? Was it 2009, somewhere around in there? Yeah, it was like 2009. Yeah. Yeah. What? For you, when you look back, what would you say has changed for you since writing Radical? In terms of what do you think? What do you think would surprise the David Platt of two thousand nine? And what are some things that you would say? I really probably would have worded this differently, or I would have hit this more, or or would you say it's pretty much the same? That pretty much the same landscape as then. Well, the, the first thought that comes to my mind when I when I wrote that book, I really didn't think I, many people would read it. Like my mom and some people at the church. <laughs> like I think if I'd have known that many people were going to read it, I probably would have read it, read through it one more time before we published it. I, I don't know. So <laughs> on a whole, like that, it was very surprising. But then at the same time, so looking back, the convictions that were in my art that that book was the overflow of that we were walking through as a church. At that point, when I was pastoring the Church of Brook Hills, um, those are just as strong now, and I'm, yeah, actually stronger in many ways. And in fact, so that's where this latest book, the "Don't Hold Back" one, is is basically me saying I don't think I was what I wrote was radical enough. Mm, not radical enough. Plus years ago, yes, because. After pastoring in Metro DC over the last five plus years, I am convinced that it's not just an American dream that has been consuming our lives, that there's actually an American gospel that's hijacked our hearts, that we have Hmm. exchanged a biblical gospel that exalts Jesus above everything in this world for 
what I would call an American gospel that prostitutes Jesus for the sake of comfort and power and politics and prosperity in our country. And so I, I didn't realize even in my own life, like everything I've, I've written has always just been out of the overflow of conviction in my own life and in the, in the ministry I'm doing, the church I'm pastoring. Uh, and, uh, that's what this book is. There, there are things that needed to be refined in me. I, I say refined, awakened in me, mm-hmm. uh, purified in me, sanctified, changed in me that I've seen in my own life over the last few years uh, and in the church that I think we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to come back to that American gospel. Before I do, I wonder if you see anything... Um, particularly unique about pastoring in the Washington, D.C. area. Because I've I've mentioned here uh, before, I think I've I've mentioned to you before, about this conversation with somebody who was um, in the corporate world at Walmart. And so had grown up, I think, in Portland, Oregon, and then had uh, gone to the Bentonville uh, headquarters of Walmart and then was in D.C. working in, in various ways. And he said that basically those three contexts could be defined by the first question that people ask you when they meet you. So in Bentonville, it's, have you found a church home? Mm. In Portland, it's, what do you like to do on the weekends? And in Washington, it was, who do you work for? Mm. And there was this immediate sense of uh, people trying to gauge uh, for you, how much power do you have? Are you really worth <laughs> talking to mm. or not? Have you learned anything about about seeing, seeing that dynamic at work in D.C. that can really help people wherever they are to, to figure that out? Yeah, that's a great question because there, there's no question having pastored in Birmingham, Alabama, and pastored in Metro Washington, D.C., same gospel, same word, same authority, same truth, very different context. Mm. I even think about last week, I was preaching at a church in L.A. Um, Like that context was very different. Just a lot of people who are in arts or entertainment and trying to apply the gospel faithfully to that context. So here in Metro D.C., yes, uh, and especially over recent years, political tensions, racial tensions that have not been unique to DC in many ways, but I feel like uh, there's some sense in which it feels like the epicenter of some of those things, Mm -hmm. or if not the epicenter, I'm not saying that everything revolves around Metro DC, but you feel those tensions at a heightened intensity when this is people's jobs mm-hmm. when there's uh there's a power dynamic at work in this city that has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ and i think that's i think there's a sense in which that's true across our country but it it it's particularly strong here there's a way of doing things a way of political maneuvering that uh and and posturing and um yeah idolatry of political things that creeps into the church, uh, not creeps in, like floods in, in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think some people think there comes a moment when a person rises to the level that this becomes a, a temptation. So it's house of cards, uh, sort of, you, you, you get to this epicenter of power and then you start falling for it. But 
I mean, I, I started out uh, my life and work uh, as a congressional intern. And I was talking to a group of congressional interns uh, just a couple of weeks ago to say, you don't have to really have any actual power to have your sense of yourself wrapped around what you can do. Mm. And even if it's not what you're doing right now, the sense of what, oh, who, who will I be in the future and what will I be doing in a way that ultimately it just leads to despair because that stuff just doesn't, doesn't last. And, and you're right, it shows up in different ways, but it's just as real in mm. Birmingham or in Spokane or uh, anywhere else, that, that tendency just, to, just to, to see ourselves in terms of our usefulness or our small G glory that Jesus warns mm. us about all the time. In ways that, uh, yeah, we don't realize, but subtly transform how we're viewing. Yeah, like you said, viewing ourselves, our identity, mm. our, where is our hope? Uh, is our hope in what's going to happen this election or in this or that policy or this or that person, politician even. Um, and uh, we, we, we probably wouldn't say, yeah, my hope is in this politician or my hope is in this uh, election or whatever it might be. But, but the way we live often shows that what our affections get most excited about, the way we communicate, what we're focusing on, uh, starts to show, wow, our identity, our hope, our meaning, what uh, our passions uh, are, can easily be far more in step with the world than with God's Word. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. I was describing you to somebody um, maybe six months ago or so. Uh, and I said, you know how in Superman, there's this figure Bizarro who comes from the Bizarro universe where everything is reversed and up is down and down is up and yes is no and no is yes. I said, well, what you need to understand is in the Kenneth Copeland cinematic universe, David Platt is Bizarro. Kenneth Copeland, because uh, when you think about the that entire prosperity gospel uh, sort of uh, ethos, it's it, you, you are exactly uh, opposite mm. and counter to that, and have been as long as uh, as long as uh, as I've known you. And one of the things that that you bring up in this book with that American gospel is a sense of prosperity that doesn't really take. Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn level actual prosperity gospel to, to let seep into your life, right? Mm, yes, absolutely. Because that's, uh, most, most people I know in the church I pastor and uh, the yeah circles that I run in, 
would be would be very far from and would denounce many of the things they that we see in, in prosperity teaching. Um, but it's the subtle ways. So in in radical 10 plus years ago, uh, there's a whole chapter on possessions along those lines. And uh, I remember getting a, a lot of pushback and you in particular, just giving, uh, just encouraging me in a sense, don't hold back, David, uh, mm-hmm. in a way that was really helpful when it comes to possessions. But to see the way that prosperity creeps into uh, an idolatry of safety mm-hmm. and comfort and uh, even even the way that we have been so caught up, I say we as a church, in calls to like promote the greatness of our nation. And obviously, I, I, you, is so thankful in so many ways for God's grace in this nation. And uh, so, always want to give the caveat that I am not in any way ungrateful for God's grace in so many ways and freedoms and opportunities, uh, including opportunities to have conversations like this. Um, but like, we've just not been commissioned to promote the greatness of our nation. We have been commissioned to make disciples of all the nations. And that's going to involve putting aside comforts. That's going to involve putting aside uh, a variety of pursuits in this world. If this is actually what we're supposed to live for, this global plan that God has outlined in his word that he's He's called us to be a part of that. That's going to lead us to live very differently. It's going to, and it's going to affect everything uh, from our certainly use of possessions, but also our plans, our dreams, our approach to people who don't look like us around us, our uh, approach to people from other nations coming into our country. Like there's so many, I mean, we could just list uh, a multitude of things, but uh, if we're not careful, a subtle, idolatry of comfort and uh, safety and our preferences can lead us to live lives and be a part of churches that are out of step with the gospel. Yeah. You know, when, when Jesus says a person's life does not uh, consist in the abundance of his possessions and uh, one cannot serve both, both God and mammon, I think what comes to mind for a lot of us when, when we think about possessions and prosperity is kind of Scrooge McDuck laying down, you know, rolling around in his gold coins and, and, and that kind of a, a thing. But Jesus actually uh, is talking a lot there about worry. Mm. Take no heart to, for tomorrow. Uh, seek first the, the kingdom of God. So it's not, it's not the it's not necessarily the person who's thinking, "Oh, I have everything I ever want. Uh, I'm I'm secure and 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 I can do whatever I want." Although that would, of course, apply to that person too. But it's the person who maybe doesn't have a lot, but that's the priority mm-hmm. is the is the worry about that. H- how do you see Jesus kind of freeing us from? I mean, it's really hard. I mean, when G- when Jesus says, "Don't." think about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I mean, that's actually really hard to do mm. when you don't know what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Yeah. How, how, how have you seen somebody make some progress there? I think about, I was just the other day, I was in Luke 12, and it was one of those places where Jesus uh, says, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Right before that, 
He says, fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and then he says, sell your possessions, give them to me. I just, I, I was just meditating on that. It's, it certainly seems like that's a promise that frees you up to live very differently. Fear to not be afraid. Why not? Because your father's good pleasure. So God, our father, we're his children. There's a rest, comfort that are found in being a child of God that no comfort in this world can compare with. It's your father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. You're, you have a kingdom. We have a kingdom, an inheritance. Mm-hmm. Like, why get caught up in living for earthly kingdoms when we have a kingdom prepared for where we have an inheritance that is waiting for us that we can, uh, in many ways, uh, have foretaste of now. So that, that kind of promise frees us up from, uh, from worry, from fear, mm-hmm. from, and so, I mean, so practical example of this, I think about being on a college campus, uh, just recently, a couple of college campuses and, uh, talking about to students about leveraging the opportunities we have that are unlike any before in history to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like we have more opportunities today with travel, technology, globalization, the marketplace to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. But college students, so many of them say that one of the biggest barriers is their Christian parents who uh, are discouraging them from leaving behind things here in order to go to some of these other places. And so, but meanwhile, so I, I, uh, and I share a little bit about this in the book, but uh, um, I saw a, a cell phone video just on social media of a 17, 18 year old girl. Uh, she's Mormon and uh, she's reading uh, this letter she's gotten from Mormon officials that's telling her where she's going to spend the next year mm-hmm. on mission. And she's so excited, like she's shaking with excitement. She gets to the uh, point where she reads where she's been assigned. She lights up, the camera pans out, it shows a whole uh, yeah, host of people, friends, family members, parents, grandparents, they start shouting and cheering her on. And I think, why is this that uh, people who, a, a group of people who have a false message are, uh, it's the expectation that every 17 or 18 year old is going to spend at least a year making this message known around the world. Why have we not built that expectation not only not, we're not opposing it, like it's expected that this is what we do yeah. because, uh, because this is what it means to follow Jesus, to live for his purpose in the world. It's just one example of how we have subtly been blinded by the offers of this world and specifically the offers of this country in ways that have uh, uh, kept us from seeing and stepping into what we're actually here to live for. You know, it's really interesting you bring that up about LDS missionaries because in, I think it was in Stephen Bullivant's Nonverts uh, book, mm-hmm. he's talking about um, these kids who are Latter-day Saints are going off on their missions and even the ones who never make a single convert, which is a lot of them, that it still is important because it shows to them mm-hmm. a religion that isn't worth taking out and trying to persuade people of the truth of it isn't a religion worth holding. And that that actually, that actually helps these Mormon kids to stay Mormon. Mm. I wonder, what would you say about with 
with parents or with church leaders, when we're thinking about our 17, 18, 19 year olds in a world where, you know, there are TikTok videos about getting an acceptance to some college, not very many about uh, finding out where, where one's going to go on mission. Mm. How could we start to change that? I love that question. Like, yes, let's redefine uh, success. And I, I want to use that uh, term uh, carefully in the sense that, I mean, we want to be faithful as parents and there are no guarantees when it comes to how that's going to play out in our children's lives. But as far as what we're parenting toward, that we are wanting to raise children and doing everything we can, children who love God, more than life itself, and who want to spread his love, his grace, his glory in the world, that they realize this is actually what Christianity is. We're, we're disciple makers among the nations. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not just for a few people. This is So the goal of biblical parenting is not to raise kids to get a great education and go on great dates and be great at sports and this or that activity and uh, be able to live a nice, comfortable, successful life in this world. Like now I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but the goal of biblical parenting is to raise up kids to love a great God and accomplish a great commission, make disciples of the nations. And so are we as parents showing them what that looks like? And then is that what we're celebrating along the way? And I love what, what you mentioned about uh, just the effect on identity and uh, like and a, and a a gospel that's worth giving your life to spread in the world. It's that good, and that that's part of why in this book that I, I try to contrast with the American gospel because uh, yeah, the I- ideology in our country is how great as great as that might be. It's not worth laying down your life to spread to every corner of the earth. But the good news of God's love in Jesus is absolutely worth that. And and I see it. I see it increase like in when I'm on college campuses, I see students with that kind of zeal. Mm-hmm. So let's celebrate that and let's let's live for that. That's one of the things that excites me most as a pastor. Children being raised, if if there's a child who stays in the church that I'm pastoring for 17 years and and their Christianity, they just see Christianity as, hey, we're living for the spread of God's glory among the nations. That's what we pray for. We pray for unreached people all the time. We give our resources to that. We look for opportunities to go and reach the nations right around us and far from us. This is what it means to be a Christian. That kind of picture launched in the world is, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound uh, too idealistic, but I, I would say world-changing like mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in ways that will lead to the spread of the gospel all over the nations. Now, you and I, and and just about everybody listening to this, as 21st century Americans or, or Westerners generally, um, are richer than Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Uh, if, if Nebuchadnezzar or Herod um, were able to see the, the way that we're able to live, uh, it would be mind-blowing. And and if they were able to see, I mean, here you and I are uh, co- communicating across screens, it would have seemed like witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just mm-hmm. to Nebuchadnezzar, it would have to our grandparents probably at some point. So there are a lot of people, I think, who, who would say, okay, maybe I have taken this American gospel and 
it's it's kind of come into my life. But I mean, I'm you're, you're not saying that I ought to be impoverished and without food or clothing. Uh, so how how do I know what to give up mm. uh, and and when to give it up? What would you what would you say to that person? Well, I would even. Uh... So I want to come back to the give up, but where my mind was going was, why do we have all these things? Why are we richer than Nebuchadnezzar? Why do we have this kind of technology? Could it be that God has given us these things for the spread of his grace and his glory to the ends of the earth? I mean, when I, when I think about the way you were just recounting that, I, I just think what a unique time in history and place for us to live in with uh, I mean, I just think travel, mm-hmm. I mean, it took Paul, take Paul, for example, it took him months to go from one city to the next by boat and didn't always work out really well. Yeah. He could never have dreamed of a machine that could take you through the air and you can get anywhere in the world in a day. Yeah, It'll just drop you there. It's amazing. And technology, I mean, when I think about this conversation, when I think about a device we have in our pocket. It took Paul, how long to write a letter, send it for it to be delivered. We can communicate in real time with people around the world in multiple languages through translating software. Can you, can you imagine how fiery first Corinthians would be if there hadn't been a cooling oh off time? Yes. Yes. We know that's the thing. We know there's problems that go with those things, but there is a host of opportunities. Mm-hmm. We have more opportunities today to get the gospel to the ends of the earth than ever before in history. So, so yes, one question is, what do I need to give up? The other question is, what do I need to leverage? Hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's not necessarily that it's bad that we have these resources, money, for example. How can we leverage it? What do we use? And so for a people who actually believe that we're here for a vapor of time and all the stuff that we see around us is one day just going to burn up, and we know what's going to last forever is the word of God and the hearts of people. So if that's true, then we, we've got to say, okay, then how can I leverage these things for that which is going to matter for eternity? And so, uh, yeah. And, and then along the way, that is going to involve letting go of some things for sure, making mm-hmm. sacrifices. Uh, but I say sacrifices even with a bit of hesitation because it's the whole Jim Elliott quote. He's no fool who gives up what he uh, can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Like it just is what makes sense. From Christianity Today, this is Mike Cosper. I'm the director of CT Media and one of the hosts of The Bulletin, a podcast about the people, events, and issues that are shaping our world. Each week on The Bulletin, we bring in a variety of guests for conversations about the most important questions Christians are asking. Our hope is to encourage the church to live with a faithful presence in a fallen world and to cut through the polarizing noise that's dividing not just the church, but the communities around us. New episodes of The Bulletin come out every Friday, so subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts. Politics. You know, every 
pastor, I think I know, is dealing with division or potential division over political issues. You and I both have dealt with that uh, a little bit. Uh, Is this just a weird moment or is there a way for the church to get through this? Oh, I, I think there's a way for the church to get through this for sure. And, uh, I don't know how, how weird it is. It definitely feels, uh, weird at times. Like I, I really honestly did not think that in fall 2020, when I was preaching through first Peter and and just said, hey, we're, we're not going to divide as a church over how you vote in this election. And uh, I didn't think that would be a controversial statement, um, but it, it turned out to be one. And, uh, but I, I definitely, I'm confident there's a way through this that is much better than where we have been. I think what has been exposed over recent years is that we're, we've not actually been united around Jesus, that we've been united around a variety of other things, ideas, preferences, um, convictions even, uh, but not first order convictions, not primary convictions. When I heard people saying, you can't be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank and heard different names in the blank, mm-hmm. it just... It was so clear that we had taken, and you can't be a Christian and do it. Like we had taken how you vote in a presidential election and we put it at the same level. We would put the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, like the Trinitarian nature of God. And so I think the way forward is to, to, and this is one of the things I try to dive into in the book is just to make sure we put our convictions in proper places primary and secondary and tertiary convictions, things that unite us as followers of Jesus, things that we may be in different churches because of our different convictions, or people that even in the same church would just agree to disagree on. Uh, But to, to put those convictions in different buckets and then to remember how to love each other when we disagree on across those buckets when it comes to those convictions. And I just think what's been shown over the last few years is our muscles for loving each other well across those differences have not been strong. And my hope is that we we can walk through this and on the other side have deeper unity than we had before because it's a unity that's truly around Jesus. And having learned to love each other when we have different convictions. That takes a while though. Mm. So how do you lead through the immediate? Um, Because that does take a cultivation of the affections and uh, Romans 12, a renewal of the mind. That Mm. That takes a while. But there are a lot of people right now who are just exhausted because they're saying, I've got a situation in my congregation where maybe it's, it's even a small group of people, but I know if I even address this at all, that there's going to be the sort of backlash that a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, pastors will say to me that they just they just want to just shut up because <laughs> because they they can't navigate through the just the grief and exhaustion of it all, but they know mm-hmm. long term they're going to have to. 
how do you learn how to do that in the short term? Oh, well, that's, I mean, in many ways, I didn't write this book just for pastors, but that's a lot of the reason I wrote this book because I have been tempted all along the way to hold back. Like it would just, it'd be a lot easier not to, to try to shepherd with God's word through those kinds of conversations and address those kinds of issues. But what would we be missing out on? I really believe we're missing out on a depth of unity and beauty in the body of Christ that is worth diving into those conversations for. So to pray continually for wisdom and how to, how to do that, to pray for compassion and love in that. But I, I just think, Russell, I think of a, a group in our church that uh, just walked through, uh, I think it was eight weeks, but together of intentionally designed, they're sitting around, this is everybody's a follower of Jesus in this journey. Everybody loves God's word and submits to the authority of it, but they have very different convictions, this group of people, about a variety of different things, politically, socially, culturally, on things that are less clear or less direct in God's word. And they spent time in tears diving into those issues with passion, but they walked out with a deeper appreciation for each other, a deeper understanding of each other, and a deeper unity in Jesus. Like, I'm not talking about unity just like mm-hmm. we just all get along and regardless of truth, like a, a rock solid unity in Jesus. And that's where I've, I've had others say, we shouldn't be talking about these issues in the church because they divide us. But my response has been, those issues won't divide us if they're not what unites us. Like, we don't have to be afraid to talk about these things if we're not looking to them to unite us. If mm-hmm. we're together around the gospel, the authority of God's word, that which is clear and direct in God's word, then, then that's what, and so we're free. And I've, I've seen so many people in the church I pastor uh, just so grateful for the opportunity to talk about these things, whether political things, racial things, like there are so many people who've come up to me and said, pastor, I, I've wanted for years to be able to talk about what I think about these things, hear what others think, but I've been afraid to for being labeled this or that. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a beauty in that, but without question, there's a cost. And, uh, like, yeah, I don't want to in any way minimize that. Um, these on a personal level for me have been really, really challenging years, but I, I would say it's worth it uh, for what we can experience and embody and show as the body of Christ if we're willing to do this. Speaking of cost, uh, you and I both uh, have been active uh, all along in orphan care movement, Mm -hmm. both uh, adoptive dads, um, and uh, your church, McLean Bible Church, has done a lot uh, when it comes to not just orphans, but for families who have uh, unique challenges uh, in their in their families and so forth. Um, there are a lot of people who are uh, who are at a point where maybe their kids are older. They're really feeling the weight of the of the cost in in some in some ways. Um, how do we how do we encourage 
churches to be involved with vulnerable people, whether that's in the foster care system or in nursing homes or AIDS clinics or wherever with vulnerable people without sort of adding up risks and and costs for that kind of love. Mm. Man, I, uh, even that question's, uh, it's fresh in my own heart right now in ways that I won't go into, but in ways that we've talked about before. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, uh, it's really good for us to, to remember, well, one, to hear a clear call requirement from God to do justice, love mercy, to be a reflection of, I was just in my time with the Lord this morning and Psalm 10, he inclines his ear to the fatherless and the oppressed to do justice for them. Like this is, this is our God. And he's invited us to be a reflection of his character in all these ways. And we, we, we must step in and in, in whatever ways the Lord leads, I'm, I'm certainly not saying, and uh, it's one of the things I've learned from you. Like I would, I would not say everybody needs to foster, everybody needs to adopt, but everybody has a part to play in doing justice and all kinds of different ways that the Lord may lead. Um, but to realize it's not going to be easy that there's, you're, you're stepping into, I, I think about Heather and I, at one point in our journey, we, she looked at me one day and she said, I feel like we're just walking into a door that says brokenness and hurt over mm-hmm. it. And we're just willingly stepping into it. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a sense in which this is the call of Jesus. Like it's certainly all, everything we've been talking about, make disciples of the nations. Like that's not going to be easy. Uh, um, and so we're called toward need, not away from it, uh, which and this goes back to what we were talking about the church. The church is beautifully designed for this, to be a support structure in that, to be a family that comes alongside. When I think about orphan care uh, in all kinds of different ways, uh, through foster, through adoption, through all kinds of support, and, and not just for children who are fatherless, but for moms and dads in difficult situations, like that... Uh, the church is designed for this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a, a family, an otherworldly family that is designed by God to be a reflection of his character. And so for us to step fully into that, that's why at one chapter of the book, I just said, let's stop debating justice and let's start doing it. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we don't need to talk about what true biblical justice is. We surely do, but let's do it. Let's, and let's uh, show what, the God who loves the fatherless, loves the widow, loves the poor, loves the oppressed, loves the sojourner. Let's show in the church what, what he looks like, knowing it's going to be costly, but isn't this the gospel that has saved us of a, of a God who obviously gave his son that we might have life in his family. Mm. And to Heather's point, I think what everybody eventually uh, learns is that all the doors are marked brokenness and hurt. Mm-hmm. All the doors. No matter, you, you can't find a door that's not, but mm-hmm. the way of the cross leads home. Yes. Yes. Even still. Yeah.
David Platt, he's the author of Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully. I really recommend that you check this book out and uh, read it. And David, it is always really great to talk to you. Thanks for being with us today. That's mutual. I thank God for his grace in my life through you, Russell. And I know I speak on behalf of multitudes of others that are, are really, really thankful. So thanks for always spurring me on toward Christ. I've been waiting until I could tell you all about this. I have a new book coming out on August the 1st of this year. It's called Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. And really what this book is about is how to navigate the craziness that we are all facing right now. How did we get to the point of uh, exhaustion that so many people are facing? Why why are so many people uh, leaving the church? Uh, Not because they can't believe what the church teaches, but because they don't believe the church believes what the church teaches. How can evangelical Christianity ever turn around? What would that look like and how do we get there? That's what this book is about. And you can uh, pre-order it in the show notes. And I look forward to sharing it with you August 1st. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore. Produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Azure Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Production assistance provided by Core Media. Audio engineer is Kevin Duthu. Coordinator is Beth Grabencourt. Video producer is John Rowland. The theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. 